I sent my son to the US to study. I wrote him a letter also. Sort of like that, although mine is not inspired and therefore not scripture. But Moses was inspired to write these three speeches and to send his people into the promised land and, and into a promised land where he himself would not go. And then uh, chapter 32 is a song of Moses, 33, the blessing of Moses, and chapter 34, obviously not written by Moses, the death of Moses. So that is a very simple categorization of this book of Deuteronomy. And I want us to turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 to 14, and let's read through these 14 verses. Deuteronomy chapter 4, from verse 1 to 14. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord the God of your fathers is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What nation, among, what nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen nor let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you His covenant, the Ten Commandments, which He commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so today, the sermon title, Reasons to Obey. Well, there are many things for us in life to obey, and sometimes I wonder how we obey them. If you look at this traffic signal, how would you obey it? It's like there are 14 signals on this thing. Or maybe this one is easier. It's so gradual. It tells you to slow down from 70 to 60 to 40 and then stop. Well, some are very hard, some are very easy, but what is the basis for a law or a rule. 
let me suggest to you, it is this. It's love. Or at least where this book is concerned, the Bible, the rules and the laws that are written there, it, it comes out of the love of God. And those, that, that was the backdrop to Moses' last words. Did Moses have any reason to obey? What reasons were there for Moses to obey God? Well, because of you. Because of you. Um, and this is not some love song. I, I Google and there are several songs with this title. It's not some love songs. You, you look at the life of Moses. Even in the book of Deuteronomy, they, he, three times he complained because of you. Deuteronomy 137, Moses says, Because of you, the Lord became angry with me and said, You shall not enter the promised land. Deuteronomy 3.26, he says, Because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. Deuteronomy 4.21, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And you can smell the frustration in Moses because of you people. Because of you people, now I cannot go to the promised land. But then, as we read, or as we will read in the three speeches and the Song of Moses, Moses would say, but you guys, you guys, please obey. Even though I'm not crossing the Jordan, even though I am not going to receive the promised land, you guys, please obey. After 120 years of walking with God, Moses caught on to the heart of God. And this is that heart of love which gave the Ten Commandments. And as God loves Israel, so Moses has developed this heart of love in spite of his personal disappointment. And Moses therefore gave four reasons out of this passage that we have read, just 14 verses. Four reasons, I believe, for the children of Israel to obey. So this will be a four-point sermon. It's not advisable for preachers. Right? Normally, it's at two points or three, three points. But try to remember these four points. Firstly, the promise of life. We read earlier Deuteronomy 4.1. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you, follow them so that you may live. It's that promise of life. And it explains further in Deuteronomy chapter 30 from verse 19. Since this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life and He will give you many years in the land He swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life. We have free will, and so we can choose. To choose life is to choose to obey God. If we do not choose life, we choose the opposite of life, and what is that? Death. Whatever is of God, pleases God, is love, is life, is eternal. Whatever is not of God, displeases God, will die and is temporal. And so how do we know what is life and what is death? 
we know it from the Word of God, from the Word of God, from the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47 says this, and Moses is saying, these are not just idle words. These are not just idle words for you. They are your life. This Word of God, they are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, continued with the same theme of life and death. The spirit which is eternal versus the flesh which dies and is temporal. John chapter 6 verse 63 says, Jesus is talking, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, recorded in the Bible, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And life is about love. Choose life so that we may love. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, we, we read earlier, it says, Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love. Choose life that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice. Hold fast to Him. The famous verse, John 10.10, 10, that Jesus uh, said that, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other translations, it says the abundant life. What is life to the full? Full of what? Full of love. Full of love. And so that's the first reason to obey. There is a promise of life. And this abundant life, this life to the full, is full of love. Secondly, there is the possession of the land. Again, in verse 1 of chapter 4, so that you may go and live and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. And what land is it? Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 25. It is a good land. It is a good land that the Lord, our God, is giving us. And we read earlier in chapter 32, verse 47, not just idle words, these are your life. By them you will live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now, to possess this land they need to cross the Jordan. And this is what is called uh, a typology, a type, a symbol. It's very highly uh, symbolic language uh, for us in the New Testament because we've got no Jordan to cross. So what does it mean to us? In the New Testament era, crossing the Jordan has come to mean crossing from this life to the next. It means going to heaven, our eternal dwelling place. And there is an old-time hymn. I do not know how many of you know this. Just a closer walk with thee. One of the stanzas says, When my feeble life is over, time for me shall be no more. When I cross to Jordan's shores, I will walk, dear Lord, close to thee. That's the meaning of crossing the Jordan to a land to possess which God will give to us as New Testament Christians. And this earth, it's not all there is. Last night, I went to a wake. I looked at the shell, the, the clay vessel of a dead man in a casket. And this life is not all there is to it. 69 years old. Where is he now? Where is this man that I once knew and was able to talk to? Where is he now? He is, he has crossed the Jordan because he has put his faith in Jesus Christ. You know, if this life were all that there was to it, it would be so sad. 
It would be so sad. And last night, as I met the wife and the children, they were all not happy, but joyful with a smile on their face. There is more on the other side of eternity. And soon there will be a new heaven and a new earth. <coughs> and God wants us there with Him to have loving fellowship with Him in that land that we will cross the Jordan to possess. So reasons to obey because there is a promise of life and there is a possession of the land. And thirdly, there are painful lessons to be learned. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 3. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. What is this lesson? What happened? What happened at this place called Peor? Well, for that, you need to turn to Numbers chapter 25, where it says in my new NIV Bible, the, the, the title, which is not inspired, it says, Moab seduces Israel. So let's read one verse from there. Now, uh, sorry, a couple of verses from there. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 to 3. It says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshipping the Baal of Peol and the Lord's anger burned against them. Now we know that Moab was the incestuous son between Lot and his daughters and there came from 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 that uh, a whole tribe of moab but how did the children of israel get, get mixed up with this pagan god of of moab this baal of pure which was a, a pagan god from this tribe of moab people and so mixed up that they had sex with the moabite women worshiped their gods sacrificed to their idols ate with them had fellowship with them and for that, we need to turn further back to the story of Balaam. Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. In that story, the king of Moab, this tribe called Balak, was frightened because he saw the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt and entering his land. So he got this character called Balaam, or Balaam, to curse the Israelites. And in Numbers chapter 22, verse 12, God said to Balaam, this guy whom the king of Moab called to curse the Israelites, God said to Balaam, says, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. They are blessed by me, God. Well, Balaam did fairly well initially when he told the king, uh, king Balak of Moab, that he will not go with them. They invited him to go to, 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 to um, Balak's uh, palace and he says he did not go with them. But he sent more princes, sent more people to persuade this Balaam to go. And finally, Balaam did this in Numbers chapter 22, verse 18. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace, Filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small 
to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. What happened there? What happened there? You remember Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2 we read just now? Moses told the people, do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God I give you. The commands of the Lord to Balaam was just do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people. Very simple. That's all. Do not go. Do not curse. But Balaam added to it. He said, hey, come stay here a while. And even, do you feel like he was fishing for something? Like, even if you give me your whole palace filled with silver and gold, I have to think about it. I have to go back and ask my God. God has already said, do not go. Do not go. It's, you can see this right from the beginning. You know, when God gave the command to Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and what did Eve say when uh, Satan tempted her? Eve says, we are not supposed to eat this. We're not even supposed to touch it. She must be brewing in her mind, so angry, I cannot eat it. And then added and added. And said, I'm not even supposed to touch it. But God did not say, do not touch it. And in the New Testament, you will find that the Pharisees have added and added and added onto the Word of God. What about subtract? What about minus? Well, in the New Testament, you will find that the Sadducees, uh, one of the religious group, deleted or subtracted all references to supernatural. They do not believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in angels. They do not believe in spirits. So you have in the New Testament the very rationalists, as we call them now, the Sadducees. Nothing, nothing miraculous. You read in the Bible something that is miraculous, you cancel it out or you don't believe it. And you have the Pharisees who are the legalists who follow the laws and add on to the laws. And Balaam added on a lot of stuff. In fact, he even asked this King Balak to build seven altars and not just one time, three times. He was not in total obedience. And so he opened up a foothold for Moab to come in. And that's just one story among many. This Baal or Peor, how the children of Israel mixed with the Moabite and got themselves into a lot of trouble. That's just one of the many painful lessons that is recorded for us in the Bible. Romans um, 15 Paul tells us, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It's written to teach us. So when you read the Bible, there are lessons inside there for us to learn. 1 Corinthians 10, 21, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. These are warnings, these are examples these are lessons for us to learn. Balaam's less than simple total obedience opened up a foothold for Israel to get mixed up with ungodly Moab. And it continued to Joshua's days. Joshua, who took over leadership from Moses, in Joshua chapter 22, verse 17, Joshua said, Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Don't, haven't you guys learned from what happened at Peor? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin 
even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. What happened in Pure? 36,000 or 24,000 people died. In a plague is recorded for us, in a plague. And we can speculate. Was it some kind of sexually transmitted disease as the man mixed with the woman of Moabite? Uh, was it something that they ate as they ate of the sacrifice and, and all that? Whatever. This sin might, might well be a sexually transmitted sin that continued down to the generations, into Joshua's generations. And they have not even yet cleansed themselves from that sin. And so we ought to learn about life from Numbers 25 and many other instances in the Bible that we read, Old Testament and New. Um, in those days when I was flying, this was a very interesting magazine. It says, I learned about flying from that. Uh, smart people read this magazine. Stupid people write for this magazine. And I almost had to write twice for this magazine, okay? It tells you all the stupid mistakes that people make by not following the rules and got themselves into trouble. I remember one time that before you do aerobatics, that means you fly upside down and all that, you're supposed to do some checks, okay? I still remember it to this day. It's called hassle checks. Check that height, you're high enough, okay? So that you don't crash under the ground. Uh, a for airframe. That means your airframe, you must put your flaps up and all that. Make sure your undercarriage is, is retracted. S for security. Make sure you tighten yourself, your harness, so that you, when you fly upside down, you don't drop and hit your head uh, on, on the, the, the ceiling of the plane. And then E for engine. Make sure your engine is okay. L for location. And a good location, you don't want to crash onto an HDB estate. And L, the second L for lookout. Make sure there are no other planes around you as you go upside down and all that. So one fine day, I missed and I forgot and I did not obey the rule for A. I did not lift up my flaps. And so when I was doing this loop that goes like that, one big round, right at the top, I was like, the plane was shaking, shaking, shaking. And I thought, oh, this is a lousy plane. It's, uh... And then when I finished everything, fortunately, I did not fall out of the sky and spin. I found that my flaps uh, were down. That's, that's a stupid thing to do. But I did not write for this magazine. <laughs> Something of a painful lesson to learn could have been terrible, could have been disastrous. And the second time is even more ridiculous, okay? When you take off, you're supposed to make sure that your seat is fastened well and your seat belt is secure tightly. So one fine day when I took off full power and my seat slided back as the plane was like that, I was like, <laughs> it's such a stupid thing to do and could have been quite disastrous. Painful lessons learned. You don't have to do it yourself like me. You can read, I learned about flying from that in the magazine. You can read from the Bible painful lessons that previous generations have taught us and we can learn from. By the way, um, the two things that I described to you, my wife doesn't know until now. <laughs> uh, then she would have barred me from flying. So, Three reasons to obey. Now we come to... Well, let me just add one more. It's like... You know, we in the Brethren Circle, we, we think we know a lot about the Word of God, and so we always say, oh, as often as we meet, we take the Lord's Supper. Right? As often as we meet. 
wrong. We've added to the Word of God. The Word of God says, as often as you eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's not as often as you meet. It's not. It's wrong. We've added on to the Word of God. And therefore, it becomes a brethren tradition rather than the Word of God. So it doesn't mean that every time you meet, you must take the Lord's Supper. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, as often as you take this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we've added to the Word of God. And, and sometimes this builds up. I remember there were days when we say, uh, and now we come to the most important part of our worship, the Lord's Supper. Where is it in the Word of God? And therefore, we treat, say, the worship in song as like uh, warm-up only. Sing inspiration, warm-up only. It's not part of worship. The real worship is the Lord's Supper. Where does it come from? It's wrong. We've just added to the Word of God. So let me encourage you. Huh? Sometimes when I, during the first part of the worship, I'm always behind. I, I feel like, you're not really worshipping. No? There, is, isn't, there isn't this community worship. It's like, you do what you want, you do what you want, and this fellow up here, he wants to jump, he can jump. But, you know, I'm not connected. No, let's worship together as a community. Let's submit ourselves. Let's submit ourselves to a worship leader. When he says clap, clap ah. All clap together in unison. And let's join brothers and sisters together and clap. It. Not like, like, you do your thing, I'll just do my thing. I'm just waiting for the sermon. Or maybe not the sermon. Ah. I was just waiting for the Lord's Supper. And there were churches in the past I've been to, like, they will concentrate on worship. When the preacher comes on, half the church walks out. I don't know what kind of tradition it is, huh? but we've kind of like divided things up. So, where am I going with this? Huh? Whatever, one reason to obey, obey your worship leader. And just <laughs> join in and let's be community. Let's worship the Lord to, together. Okay, uh, fourth reason. To present a godly legacy. We read again Deuteronomy chapter 4 from verse 5 this time. Moses says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them the way that the Lord, our God, is near us whenever we pray to Him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. You know, God has a much, much larger agenda than for us just to obey Ten Commandments. And it's right there from the beginning. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God says, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the earth. I've done all these things is to bless you, to enjoy, rule over it. And then came sin, then came the flood, everything was destroyed. And once again, God told Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, He blessed Noah and his sons and saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, rule over it. Be my good stewards over the earth. Spread out. And then with Abraham, Genesis 12, 
But, uh, actually, before that, there was a Tower of Babel where it just sort of settled. I do not want to go any further. I like this place and I want to make a name for myself. So I built a Tower of Babel and God scattered them. There's so much of the good earth, the good land that God has given to you and you guys don't want to go out. You want to settle in this place and build us. In those days, how high a tower can they build? They want to build this tower and make a name for themselves. Build a three-story flat and you think that, wow, I'm God. Go out there. There's good land to be taken. Tower Babel. And then came Genesis uh, 12 with Abraham. And he told Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And again, that same God, divine mandate is given to men. Get out there. Get out there. And then it culminates in the great uh, commission. Therefore, go once again. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Get out there. Get out into the community, the good land that God has given to you. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine. Don't go and hide it. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Uh, Paul was commending the Corinthians, and by, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for your obedience. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. This was about some collection that uh, the Corinthians Christians made and to give to the poor. So there are two dimensions to obedience. Of course, we obey God. Whatever God says, we say we obey. That is the titlo version. I learned this new term. Any of you know this word titlo in Hokkien? I just learned it. I, I tell you, I'm 54, almost 54 years old, and I've never heard of this. Titlo means straight down, vertical, and it refers to kopi, right? You all don't know. Okay, now let me teach you. Yeah, you can order kopi siu tai, right? Which means coffee and less sugar or kopi C with evaporated milk only. But there is called kopi titlo. That means from the sock, huh? where they put the coffee, that sock thing. Uh, that means titlo comes straight down. You don't mix with water. That means it's concentrate. You all don't know. Huh? I didn't know also, so I'm okay. <laughs> so straight down. When God commands straight down, we obey. But there is also not just the vertical dimension, but the horizontal dimension that our obedience has an effect. Our obedience has an effect and it has an effect as to bless the nations. That's why God says, let your light shine. Let your obedience shine so that men may see. That's why God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, men will praise God for your obedience. So the two dimensions, okay? There's no Hokkien term for spread horizontally yet. If you have one, let me know. Then I can, yeah, I have titlo and something else. Okay, so why do we obey? These four reasons from expositorily from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, that God promises life. You choose life when you obey. Otherwise, you will choose death. That at the end of it all, we possess the land. We cross over the Jordan and there is eternal life for us. 
that there are many painful lessons to be learned that are written for us in the Bible, warnings for us that we learn. And then there is this godly legacy that as we obey the Lord, we will leave a legacy. A legacy not just to our children, which is very, very precious, right? Moses said you, you, you teach it to your children and to your children's children. That obviously, that is in some sense the titlo version from God to you, to your children and your children's children, but also spreading horizontally to all the nations around you. What do we obey? Yes, the Ten Commandments, the law, but not just a set of laws. Who do we obey? God. It's God who gave us this set of laws. And what is this set of laws based on? You remember the traffic light with a heart-shaped red that's what it's based on. It's not some law to cramp your style. It's a law that comes from a God who loves us. And that, those Ten Commandments spring from that kind of a heart, a heart of love. And you know that the law, the Ten Commandments, came after a great deliverance. That after the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, they entered the, the, the land there, and then God gave the Ten Commandments. Now, if I were God, what would I have done? I might have given the Ten Commandments to Adam first. Right? Then you obey all these laws, then everything will be okay for you. But no. Or maybe I'll give it to Joseph. See, Joseph had it so good already, you know, the father and all came and joined him, and, and I think it started with about like 70 people. And said, oh, now, you keep this, uh, then you will never enter slavery, and then you'll be okay. But no. It was God who, who delivered His people first and then now He gave the Ten Commandments. With, he, he delivered them with no strings attached, not any laws for them to obey except just to love. It's like, it's like a rich father gives a Ferrari to the son. I give you this Ferrari first and I say, don't jump a red light. Huh? Don't jump a red light. Uh, maybe not such a good illustration. Huh? But I also gave my sons red Ferraris, you know. And then I gave them this rule. Don't play with it in, church, in, in school, uh, uh, not during service, and not during your homework time. It was a heart of love, but it came together with some rules and some laws. You understand, I don't give them a real Ferrari. Uh, mine is like so small. Only. So it all comes... From love. And there are some people who preach that, you know, you don't preach about the Ten Commandments anymore. Don't. It's the law. We are now in the age of grace. And, and if you preach from the Ten Commandments, you are killing your congregations slowly. What is, what is the song? Killing me softly with His Word. You are killing your congregation with the Word of God. And therefore, don't preach the Ten Commandments. It's just about grace. It's about love of God. You just have to look to Jesus and His love and, and He will forgive you and, and all that. But cannot, cannot. Right? Every iota, every dot, every tittle in this, in this word is eternal. So how can I not preach from the Ten Commandments? But it is true that if you love, if you show grace, if you love like Jesus, if you love your neighbour, you will not cover his, his wife. Isn't that true? It springs from love. If you love your neighbour, you will not steal his property. You will not tell lies about him. And all these are the Ten Commandments. It's a, a natural, low outcome of 
a heart of love, the same kind of love that Jesus showed us without even preaching the Ten Commandments. But we need to know the Ten Commandments. And loving your neighbour as yourself is just the opposite side of the coin of loving God with all your heart, your soul and your mind. So I went onto my Bible software and I, and I searched love and law. And I came up with five verses on, I love your law, I love your law. All were from Psalm 119, you know, that, the longest psalm that talks about the, the, the law, the word of God. So I love the law. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, these are the verses I found. Romans 13, 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Again, we've got to look right back, okay? Don't get caught up by the Ten Commandments, but get caught up by the one who gave the Ten Commandments and he gave it out of love. You love your fellow man, you fulfill the Ten Commandments. Romans 13, 10, Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Same thing. Same thing. Galatians 5.14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. James 2 verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself and you are doing right. So we trace all these reasons to obey the Ten Commandments back to the one who gave the Ten Commandments, who is God is love. That's the one and overriding reason to obey. As God loves, so we love our neighbour as ourselves. And just that is just the flip side of loving God. And in doing that, we'll fulfil the law. So it's not, it's not try to obey. It's not try harder to obey. It's trust and obey. Trust and obey. It's about trusting that God has the best for us, that God loves us when He laid down the law. It's about trusting God when He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about trusting God that my grace is sufficient for you. It's about trusting God when He says, I will send the Holy Spirit and He will lead you into all truth. I will send the Holy Spirit and you trust that the Holy Spirit will be your counsellor and your guide and your advocate. Trust and obey. So in the end, it's also about the choices we make, right? We make choices to live or we make choices to die. We make choices that are eternal or they are temporal. So this morning, as we come to the end of this expository sermon, some of us have already made choices that we may need to turn back from. And that's what the Bible says, repent. Turn around 180 degrees. Some of us at this juncture in our life or in this week needs to make some choices, whether it might be for career, for your children or whatever, or even the choice. It's staring you in the face, it's tugging at your heart, but you're not yet ready to obey the Lord. Then let's pray. Let's pray. So some need to turn back, some need to pray that God will give us the strength to make the right choice, the choice that is for life, not death for eternal things, not temporal things. There's one other time that the Bible referred to this sin at pure, 
and that is in Psalm 106, verse 28. The psalmist says, They yoked, the children of Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. So let's think. What have we yoked ourselves to? What have we tied ourselves to? Relationships, bitterness, unforgiveness, unholy relationships. Have we yoked ourselves to some kind of Baal? What have we taken? What have we imbibed? What have we eaten? I was so glad that over the, the, the week, I spoke to a young man and he was relating to me um, a story of somebody trying to bribe him in business and he decided not to, not to. If he had, he would have eaten something. He would have imbibed something into his heart. It would become impure. What have you? Through your mouth, through your hands, through your eyes, what have you taken off through your pocket? that is impure, that you now need to de-yoke yourself from? Let me leave those few questions in your mind as I ask the worship team to come. Help us with this closing song, Trust and Obey. You've got to believe that God is love and is out not to harm us, but to help us. And that there are all these tensions in society, in life, whether it is bribery or sexual immorality, and everybody is doing it anyway. What good it is for me to obey this very ancient law? What is wrong with a little white lie? But it's against the Ten Commandments. God has pointed the way of love for us. So just two things. What have you yoked yourself with? And what have you taken in Bible? And let's turn away from it. Let's trust and obey that the Lord will give us strength to turn away from it. And for those who have not done so, but you have some strategic or some important decisions to make this week or this month, today, then let's turn to God. Come to God. Ask Him for that wisdom. Trust in Him that He will give you the wisdom and the strength to make those decisions. Let's uh, stand as we sing this song together.
spirits. Help us to learn from your word to trust you. Do the right thing. That we honour you above all. All that you promised to us, life, land, a legacy will be us. And so God, I want to pray for your people here in PPH. For those who might have yoked ourselves to something that is not right not life, therefore death. Not eternal land, therefore temporal. Not pleasing to you, and therefore displeasing to you. God, that you will enable us to turn back, to repent, to walk away from. Help us. For those who this week need to make a decision, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit once again to stir our spirit do the right thing, to do that which is honouring to you, to have the light, to be the light of the world, the salt to the earth, so that all may see and then give glory to our Father, that by our example of obedience, even though it costs us, that we would be faithful children honouring the Lord blessing the nations that we will be good examples to our children and that it will flow to our children's children so help us God we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen